0: This episode of The Better 2 Podcast is brought to you by Kitty Mystic and DM Needham, author of My Days with the Dark Muse, as well as Love is Worth Waiting For. Hi gang, Donna here. Thanks for tuning into The Better 2 Podcast. Today's guest is somebody that you've heard his name mentioned several times over since the beginning. Actually, I think it was the end of last season, Rich Zai. He is of Third Ear Audio Production, and he does the sound for the show and does produce it. Well, today he sits down with me, and unfortunately, it's kind of a two-part show because we had some issues with Zoom and the internet, and we had a little bit of that today as well. But we sit down and we talk about how he got into being a producer and being an engineer, and we go on a journey of Talking about touring, talking about what it's like, and uh, how his humble beginnings led him to where he is today. So
1: enjoy. What? What? what you need to do is you need to do that the way Mark Maron does, and you just sort of turn it on at some point, point. Mm-hmm. and just do you know me? Do you know how many beginning of his podcasts are he and the guest and the guest saying. Are we recording? When are you, when are you going to start recording? Oh, we've been recording for the last 10 minutes. Oh, great. You heard me tell that story. Fantastic. The world (laughs) does not need to know that. Yeah. Well, they know now. Well,
0: (laughs) you you know, I just, with you, it's like this, you know, usually I have my nice sheet of paper, you know, with all the notes and everything, but you don't have anything with Sarah. I don't have anything. There's several people that have been on the show more than once that don't have a list of prep because
1: I, and, and by the way, I'm the sound guy. What prep do you need for me? exactly that much (laughs) i saw that look on your face exactly that much
0: well yeah you're the sound guy and i mean this is definitely going to start off just wild and willy because because you know we're not i'm not going to formally introduce rich this is rich that's as far as i'm going to go you've heard his name at the end of the show over and over again for the last season and a half and uh, this is the end of
1: season five Or is it the beginning of season six? No,
0: it's the end of of season five. Are you sure? Yeah. This is going to be the last one. This is going to be the last one. You're going to follow
1: Sarah. Nobody can follow Sarah. Well, you are. Okay, you know what you've really done is you've turned me into the comic that goes on on after Chappelle shows up at the comedy store at 10 o'clock and does two hours. It's like, how do you follow that? I get the well, All right.
0: Well, especially because Sarah and I are usually, you know, we we do get in some interesting conversations.
1: Okay, so I have to go back and actually listen to the whole to all of that one instead of just spotting. So, just so you know what my process is, because not that it should change anything, and and I'm going to bore every listener to tears right here. Um, I believe it or not, I don't listen all the way through every episode. Oh, I know that. So I, 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 have a couple of, I have the, the, the front tag and the back tag are, are, are currently just set up and, and, and always the same. It's everything in the middle. That's different.
0: Unless, I, will, unless I sit there and go, guess what? I have a musical guest and we're going to play three songs from the record. And then I'm going to give you just a crack <sighs> and, you're gonna, to do.
1: and you're going to throw it at me and you're going to have everything that doesn't line up. Right. Because, whatever you're using on your mac doesn't have the same time code. Yay! <laughs> Good times. Yay! Because because when you, so what's really what the hard part of that was was the part that you were listening to mm-hmm. and we're talking about okay I need this to be here. You didn't take into account the, the the front bumper of the show so the the show's intro theme no I didn't that amount of time and the amount of time you were speaking. No. You do you have any idea how, mu- how much harder it made my job? I'm sorry. I apologized profusely back then. And, and well, I, but I, you're I, no radio girl. You should know better. Yeah, I'm an old, old radio. I, and, and by the way, I'm not editing a single bit of this out, just so the world knows. Yeah, but you know, I could. You won't. <laughs> you could. You could, and monkeys could fly out of my ears. But let's, but be honest.
0: let's be honest. I was not a professionally trained disc jockey. I didn't go to school to become a disc jockey. This was my training. Hey, you got the job. It's Tuesday. You have the job. Friday oh, you're going to be on air.
1: Okay. okay.
0: And that we're going to have somebody
1: That sounds like the first job I got the first job I got doing running running stage monitors at a and, night, at, at a rock at a rock club. It was and, hey, you're standing here. This is where everybody starts. And and
0: you're going to have somebody with you for the whole air shift, which will be 4 hours. Okay. Half hour in, well, you've sat with Todd enough. Todd taught you everything you need to know, and you're running it better than most people that I went to school with, so here you go. Okay. Uh,
1: I got tapped on the shoulder and said, hey, I'm going to go meet this chick in the dressing room.
0: (laughs) Well, okay, then. I wonder what happened then. Hmm, No, Uh, I can (laughs) either
1: confirm or deny it was Bible study. (laughs) Bible study. So we're we're digressing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not even so now so now that so now that everybody who normally would be listening to the show has changed and gone to listen to anyone else
0: (laughs) you never know they might find us rather amusing because it's just you
1: know crazy well and we're following sarah so this is actually probably pretty normal this is true except there's not we haven't had any f-bombs yet oh it's early yet.
0: (laughs) it's early so as we've talked about you are my sound person and you know, I, I have to say, I really wouldn't have a podcast without him because the mic I have and the little mixer is per Rich. So yeah, Rich has it. helped me launch the Better To podcast. And for a long time, I was doing this without his help. And he kept saying, why haven't you asked me for help? Because, you know.
1: And, and let, let's, 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 call, let, let's call a monkey a monkey. It a was monkey? bad. Thank you. Thank audio, you. Audio, no, the audio quality was bad. Not the content. The content was fine. But you don't do this for a living. No. no so I there don't. you go. No, I don't. You know, <laughs> I, I, it would be like me trying to read cards. I look at them and I, you know, I, I believe Stephen Wright said it best. I played I played poker with a deck of tarot cards. I got a full house and eight people died. <laughs> well, I'm sure you could read cards if you tried. But
0: anyway, so why? Okay, let's uh, let, let's just forget about the podcast for a minute. So why did you decide you wanted to be a sound guy? And what made you decide to be
1: a sound guy? funny story um and one one of the primary characters in this story doesn't really remember it either the way it happened or it at all and i'll explain why it was the 70s um september 23rd 1979 chicago's international amphitheater the one of the greatest spectacles in rock and roll was playing that would be kiss on the return on the on the Tour for the Dynasty record, which was, I believe, technically called the Return to Kiss tour. Okay, sorry, Return from the Return to Planet Kiss tour. Um, for those that aren't Kiss aren't Kiss nutballs like I am, um, they are. Uh, that was Kiss was sort of on the on the backside of the uh, of the '70s wave. Um, that was the last, That was the final tour of the original band. Um, Peter Chris left shortly after that tour. Um, And then came back really briefly for the record for most of the recording of the next record, but never toured with the next record and then Ace quit and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. So my uncle Ken, bless his heart. uh, It had a bit of a side hustle in the 70s known as Colombian gold. Um, And. He, my grandmother, he was living at my grandparents' house. And my grandmother found his stash. Now, I don't know if he, now depending on which of my uncles or my dad, or, or if you talk to my dad about it, Ken was moving weight. But I don't know this. I have no idea. He went to, they went to every concert there was. Ken never paid for a ticket.
0: You know, I've heard stories about, from my father that after him and my mom separated, that he was living with a bunch of guys. And they were moving some stuff and my dad yeah. even had a pager back then. And, you know, of course he was for his auto business. Sure. Um, but, but yeah, I think Ken wasn't, I don't, I
1: don't. Yeah. I was gonna say, I don't remember Ken having a job back then, but I was nine. So
0: yeah. there's
1: a lot of that stuff. That's kind of fuzzy. So, um, when this when, the, when the, when the kiss show comes up and I wanted it, I was a kiss fan. I, I was six years old. The kid across the street, his name was Robert page came home with a copy of love gun okay. and i went ah, what is this this is the most awesome thing ever i have to know everything there is about this we would put on our own kiss concerts in his living room actually very old school you walked into the living room there was the little side den which had the stairs that went to the upstairs well that was the perfect drum riser or a place to or or, or a place to, to go aerial off the off the risers on the stage. If you if anyone, if you open the inside of the the inside cover of Alive Two, you see the dragon heads and they're on the platforms and stuff. Yeah, that was our platform. We were nerds. We were total so, nerds. What did you play in in your version of kid Oh, I was I was Ace Frehley. I was always Ace Frehley. There, that's I was Ace Frehley. They're like, but but you're taller than us and you should be Gene. I'm like fuck Gene. He's an asshole. I didn't even know that. I just looked at him. I'm like, no, no, no. Ace, Ace, spaceman, okay. Space I mean, I'm
0: gonna, I'm gonna give you something that nobody really knows. When okay, so my parents had split, and my friend, we were. I was over at my friend's house, and he had gotten a Kiss record. I don't remember which one, um, but all I remember is being in his bedroom and having an army helmet, and I was the drummer. That's all I remember. And I know, and I don't know the Kiss members totally by Peter name. Chris, so that would,
1: that would have been Peter Chris. That that's what I the, thought, but that I not That would have been the Catman.
0: I didn't want to misspeak,
1: I didn't want to mistake.
0: Sorry. So, so yeah. Right. So I was Peter Chris, and I was just drummer. I wanted to be a drummer. I always wanted to be a drummer,
1: but I ended up being a
0: bass player. But there you go.
1: Well, you know, we we all can't be perfect. No, no. Um, well, sorry. The right, we're perfect. Everyone else is, you know, drummers and drummers but, and guitar players.
0: But see, I but understand anyway. your your
1: your mock band. I get it. Right, right. And, uh, but I was I. Ace was my guy. Ace was always my guy. I always thought he was the coolest. I thought the Ace Fraley songs were better than everybody else's. And back then, back then, in the early days of Kiss, the first, say, six records, Ace would get a song on the album. Peter would get a song on the album. There would be a couple of Gene songs. It, it's sort of like the Beatles. There's a couple of Gene songs. There was a couple of Paul songs. There was a couple of Gene and Paul songs. And then they threw Peter, in, they threw Peter and Ace a bone. One of the bones they threw Peter was "Beth," which was at the time the only charting, the only song that ever charted. Which to this day chaps Gene Simmons' ass. Really? That a ba- The first song that hit for Kiss was a ballad. It is one of those popular songs everybody has. He is pissed off to this day. It's kind of like Neil Sean. Neil Sean of Journey is still mad that Steve Perry was in the band because suddenly he was getting laid. I swear to God. Because he's been pissed off at, at Steve Perry for for decades because of the tight pants. It's hilarious. <laughs> um, but uh, so Ken had to take, so Ken couldn't take his girlfriend to the show, his girlfriend who really wanted to see Kiss. He had to take me. Uh... right. So I of course get all dolled up in my Ace Fraley outfit, which was just hilarious. My aunt, my my aunts were so I'm from a giant family. And my uncle Ken is the sec the my second oldest uncle, okay. Or sorry, my second youngest uncle. So there's one that my uncle Joe is six years my my senior. Ken is eight years my senior. Okay. So, um, so yeah. So Ken took me to see Kiss because and, and we were section C, section C, uh, section C, seat twenty two, row C. Wow! Right? Yeah. In here, burned yeah. into my brain. Obviously, uh, Judas Priest opened the show. Okay. So Judas Priest opening for Kiss. Um, that was the second, a third time. It was a third show on the tour, and the last show that the thundercloud, lightning, laser effect worked. <coughs> right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so, and they they opened with. They didn't open with Detroit Rock City. It was the first. It was the first time. That they had ever not used Detroit Rock City as the opener since they did it, since they wrote the song. Yeah, I'm like I said, it made an it made a bit of an impression. This was your first concert. Yeah, okay. yeah. All right, so I get it. All right. So I'm sitting there on Ace Frehley's side of the stage. So the entire show, I'm watching my hero bigger than life, mm-hmm. and there's lasers and there's bombs and everybody's wasted. There is. I caught it. I got my first high at nine years old because you couldn't breathe in the inter. I when they knocked the international amphitheater down, there was a cloud of pot smoke from '77 <laughs> that it left. It from from when Led Zeppelin played there in the '70s. Yeah. Um, but that was. But that was it. And when they, you know, King of the Night, they they opened with King of the Nighttime World. And when the risers started coming down and the imp the Um, emphasis and accents on the king uh, were just explosions and fireballs. I was like, I want to do that. I don't know what that is. I'm nine years old. I don't know what it is, but I want to do that the rest of my life. And here we are. (laughs) That's not exactly, you're not exactly doing that, but you know, per se, but you are doing it. Well, I, I figured out that I was the world's, the world's lamest bass player. The, I'm sorry, not the world's lamest, the world's okayest bass player. Okay. Um, flash forward a few years. Um, I'm a freshman in high school. Uh, I desperately, desperately, desperately want to learn how to play guitar. Except the guitar has got too many strings. And I know that that's an old lame joke that, you know, Get you know, uh, there's an old, there's an old story. A guy's teaching his son how to play guitar, so he's teaching him every chord, every every first position chord on the low E string. Once he gets to the D, to the to the 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 G string, his kid comes in the next day and he's got a case in his hand. And his dad says, "Okay, you ready for your lesson? Nah, dad, you taught me enough bass. I'm gonna go play in a band." So, <laughs> so that's. You know so flash forward to to high school and i like i said obsessed with kiss and rock and roll in general i mean my my uncles decided that i was way too into kiss so one year for my birthday i got three of the oddest records i had ever gotten in my life and i was probably 10 or 12. so my uncle's again trying to get me away from kiss Mm -hmm. i got a leatherwolf record okay which was, I believe, Out Hunting is the name of the record. It's their second one. 2112 by Rush. And Dog and Butterfly by Heart. Okay. They're throwing everything at the wall to see if something sticks. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so, yeah. So, you know, I, I was listening to everything. I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a child of what you could call hippies, you know, f- faded hippies. So our record collection went everything from the hair soundtrack to the Beatles to Elvis, to bread. Um, had I even considered that they would be worth anything, I would have taken way better care of a lot of those records. I actually have some of my parents' records. Well, my folks had like original first, first edition pressings of meet the Beatles of. Music, music from the Big Pink, and we didn't. You know, it's like there was a song on it I didn't like. We would take a, we'd take it like a, a sewing needle and scratch it out because we didn't oh, like that song. Oh, you yeah.
0: bastard! We
1: were. <laughs> <laughs> so who who knew that those things were going to be worth a damn thing?
0: Well, you it, amazes, know? I mean, it amazes me now. If you go to half price books, it's like a twelve inch that you know. Back in the eighties, when I bought a twelve inch there, it was
1: like a dollar something. Which yeah, i now they're, 25, now they're twenty five. Now
0: they're twenty bucks. Yeah, a record we paid seven dollars for is twenty five dollars. It's like, what the hell? Well,
1: you know, inflation, and we're dumb enough to go buy it a third, a fifth time, depending. No, on actually, I'm I'm not dumb. I never got rid of them. Well, there you go. Hmm. Um, I have quite the extensive LP collection. I have, an, I have. Speaking of that, I've got a turntable upstairs that I keep swearing I'm going to take over to get fixed. I, I know where a, to take it.
0: I have a ter- turntable that plugs right into the computer sitting in a box. I've had it for five years and I'm always nah. like, I'm going to be able to put this
1: on. Nope. 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 No, no, no. I've got speakers. I've got a receiver. I got everything sitting upstairs ready to put in a pretty decent system. i just have to go get the turntable fixed. And I just, yeah. I bought it on eBay at the beginning of the pandemic and it came in and it didn't work. And the guy was being a, dick, so I didn't bother. But anyway.
0: I think I still have... We still have ours, too. But I have an Atari like that. I did get it fixed, and it does work.
1: Oh, there you go. Um, Atari 2600. So, So flash forward to high school, you know, a few years. Um, And I was... Always musical. Always musical. I always had... I have an aunt who is a very dear friend of my father's, my godmother. Um, And she... I always had whatever the cool electronic thing was. So when the Walkmans hit, I got a Walkman radio. When the cassettes hit, I got a Walkman cassette player. The last thing she gave me was a Walkman CD player. A Discman. A Discman for like my 18th birthday. I got one of those from her, which I used to have. I still, I had, when I owned the sound company, that was my, that was my put the CD in to play music between bands while we were doing changeover. I still had it, and it finally died it finally sure. died on a show so it, it, i got a lot of i got a lot of work out of that um but i was caddying at parkridge country club i'm a chicago kid for those of you that that can't tell from my accent um and i used to caddy at one of the local country clubs and i saved my caddy money for a day and i bought the three records that changed my life and they are uh a band called Talus uh, out of Buffalo, New York. Bass player is the only one anybody knows of. Uh, Billy Sheehan, who played in Mr. Big and David Lee Roth's band and Sons of Apollo. He was in Grand Funk Railroad for a minute and a half. He played. He was in UFO. He was in like a re- reunited UFO for twenty minutes. Um, bass player, ba- you know, has bass. Will travel, but um, that was Billy Sheehan's band in 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 uh, uh, Buffalo. So before he moved west and joined, actually was almost going to join Van Halen, but that's a whole other story. Um, But their their record Live Speed on Ice, which is their live record, and it just was, it was cool. The record, again, going back to us being kids, the record, the album cover was awesome. And then I put it on and I heard Billy play and I was like, what is that? That's a thing. I don't know what that thing is going to be, but I, I want to do that. Bass guitar, Billy Shannon. Mom, I want to be a bass player. You know, I want to play bass kind of Gene Simmons plays bass. Paul McCartney plays bass. You love Paul McCartney. I should play bass. That's how I ended up with my first bass. It's much much easier. though as a boy
0: to go to your parents and say, I want to play bass versus being a girl and saying, I want to play bass. Well,
1: only, only, but in my world. My father was a roofer and my mother was in the medical field and I'm the oldest of, I'm the oldest of five. Okay. So I wasn't playing a bass. My dad used to say, Oh, you're going fishing. What do you mean? Well, your bass is in your hand. <laughs> you know, that was funny. Once the 3000th time I flipped them off. Do you remember black O ring bracelets? Uh,
0: yeah. Okay. I used to wear them all the time. And my stepfather would be like, so you're going to go out and change the car, uh, the oil in the car.
1: Yeah, I got. I I had yeah. my I had my fair share of those cracks as well. Um, mm-hmm. I was, um, but anyway, the other two records were 1984 by Van Halen, which, it, in the summer of 1984, it was kind of hard to find a bigger record than that, <laughs> quite frankly.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. And the the, what I was is, started the path of finding the guy who actually wrote, was writing the soundtrack of my life at the time. Which was shout at the double by motley curve okay now i actually now i, I kind of sn- i kind of pulled the fast one on my parents because i actually had a copy of i actually picked up also a copy of sports by Huey Lewis in the news but switched the albums mm-hmm. because i knew my parents would throw away the motley record because it's black with a pentacle on it how could they not right and then and then i got for my birthday that later that later that summer for my birthday i got the 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 walkman so i went out and bought a copy of shout at the devil on cassette and played it until it died and then bought another one i probably have owned i probably owned shout at the devil the second most times of all the records i've purchased i probably owned 150 copies of it because i'm just i'll buy it and then i'll lose it or i'll give it to someone or it'll like in the old cassette days i'd rip the tape or whatever and you know Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that's how that, so that's how that happened. Um, I got a bass from a kid named Ed Nikolic, who was a freshman, who also was a bass player in, at, in high school. And he taught me how to play Freebird, which is hilarious.
0: <laughs> which is, if you, most people don't know this, but if you're in a band or you hang out with people that are in a band and you go to the nightclub or the club, almost every time, I don't care what kind of band it is, you're going to hear somebody scream. Play Freebird.
1: Now I can tell it now what you don't know. My dear friend is that I know the reason that that is actually a thing. Well, please tell me because I don't know. I always just go, whatever. Uh, there is a radio. There was a DJ here in Chicago named Kevin Matthews. You no, know but I, Kevin Matthews was awesome. And he was one of the greatest guy. One of And there was a period of time when here, when, when Chicago radio, um, when Chicago radio was completely and totally off the chain. Awesome. Okay. Okay. Um, this, so you had what boiled down to the greatest, the two, the two guys that invented shock radio, uh, Stephen Gary, Jonathan Brandmeyer. you had Kevin Matthews. You had a guy named Ed Till in the evenings and Kevin Matthews was the midday guy. And Kev was incredible. He did, he did parody songs. He was funny he introduced the world to bill hicks he introduced me to frank zappa um, but that kev was joking in his shows and in his con- and they would do concerts like they would have 20,000 people at the rosemont horizon for a for what they would call loopstock and it would finish with kev doing an hour or with kev doing a half an hour stephen gary doing a half an hour Brandmeyer, johnny in the leisure suits doing Brandmeyer songs you know, cause that's what it was. Cause Steve Dahl in the seventies used to do when Steve Dahl started those, those, some of you would know Steve Dahl started the disco sucks movement. Which is actually something that is, is historic now. I mean, you, you, right. That comes disco up, demolition, yeah. disco yeah. demolition comes up every July <laughs> yeah. and Steve was disco demolition. They had the 40th anniversary last year, two years ago. Um, and really what's funny is to this day, Steve's like, I didn't think this was going to happen like it happened. It's not my fault. <laughs> we were just going to go to the Sox game and blow up a couple of records and just go watch the Sox game and drink beer. We didn't know that they were going to have 80,000 people in Comiskey Park. It only held about 42. You know, people were hanging off the walls. And the, so anybody who doesn't know Chicago or who might know Chicago baseball, when you hit a home run it, when the Sox hit a home run at Comiskey park, they shoot off fireworks. So they've got an in-house pyro guy. Well, to get to see the white Sox and the Orioles at this double header, which became disco demolition. And I know that I'm, I'm off on a tangent, but that's okay. Um, what happens? Well, what happened was, um, the, you got, it was night because the loops, the loops, um, frequency was 98 it was 98 it became 98.7 but it was 98 mm-hmm. um or sorry 97.9 is what it became later but it was 98 on the old on the old on the old analog radio dial well for 98 cents in a disco record you got in to see both games of a double header which is crazy which is insane
0: it's you know it's insane uh, although i will say this my first counselor was Olivia and john at LSU uh, Assembly Center. I had gotten the tickets from somebody who won them off the radio, but face value of the ticket was $12.75. Yeah. So let's put, you know, that's putting that in a little perspective because now, right. yeah, tickets are crazy.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, and, and, you know, a beer at the ballpark was 4 bucks. Yeah. I mean, a beer at the ballpark when I was, 20, when I was 21 and going to a Sox games, the beer at the ballpark was 6 And we thought it was cheap. We were like, God, how expensive is this? Well, yeah. you know, perspective, yeah. but yeah, they had, uh, they had a dumpster, litter a literal dumpster of disco records in, uh, in center field. And the pyro guys like tripled the amount of the amount of boom of, of boom stuff that was in there. And when that sucker went boom, it blew a giant crater in the middle of <sighs> out in center field. The white Sox had to forfeit the next game. <laughs> So this was supposed to happen in between, you know, in between games of a doubleheader mm-hmm. and then fans rushed the field. Jimmy Pearsall's going crazy and calling them hooligans and everything else is hilarious. And I was at that game too. Um, Cause you know, I seem to be right next to the guy doing the stuff that happens, but anyhow. Um, so yeah, so we started playing bass. I, I started listening to, to shout at the devil that was, that became Nikki, I've said before, Nikki Six has literally been writing the soundtrack of my life since I was fourteen. All I gotta say is, I hope that God that you
0: did not go seven days without toilet paper and showering and still picking up chicks.
1: That's no. from his. That's from his. Well, yeah, book. no, no, I remember, I remember. Yeah, I'm sure. No, 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 no. I, I, I have, I have standards. Not many. <laughs> They're not high, but I have some. All, all I could think was, and
0: this is from heroin diaries, people. All I could think when I read that was, ew. I don't care when, how. I don't care if he's a bass player in a band. That's just ew.
1: But when you are, uh, let me think of if. Yes, you and I who are fairly together with it happening, people who kind of understand what you know, mm-hmm. life, life and stuff. We mm-hmm. would that to us would be gross. There's no way that I would ever do that. I mean, admittedly, I work from home. So there are occasions that i I go two days without a shower and it happens. You know, and then I'm and then I will turn I will turn the wrong way and go, Okay, lunchtime's here. It's time for yeah. But I, I would I don't do it on purpose. No, I get that. I, I get that. And, and yeah, I'm guilty and you as wanted, well. Well and you and you read the you read the book, so you know that they did that he did it on a
0: bet no i actually i did not pick up on that part i was too i was too blown oh. away it's like my mind was scarred after i read the fact that yeah he did that i he was and, just he i was and mars,
1: he and mars had a bet had a twenty five thousand dollar bet okay to see who could go longer without changing their clothes their stage clothes their stage clothes so it's just their stage clothes now nikki because nikki is who he is took it two steps too far and slept in the leather pants. wore those same leather pants for 6 weeks. And even and Mars at that point is like, okay, dude, fine you win.
0: <laughs> no, the, see the, we're talking about two different things. Because what I'm talking about is he went 6 days. He had no toilet paper in his house. Oh, that one. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. No shower.
0: He was freaking well, higher than a kite and he's well, still because,
1: banging people. Because well, yeah, but junkies the junkies
0: yeah i know i know but it's just still ew i didn't even remember the the leather pants bit so now you've even gotten more of ew but anyway
1: (laughs) sorry so okay minor distraction i i so so what so anyway actually oddly enough the band that i'm working with. um so yeah so we started playing bass i was Uh, not, not the greatest bass player in the world, much, much like, much, much like my idol. Um, I tried, I was mediocre at best, but the thing I was always doing was I was, I always had the cool gear before anyone else did because I worked for my dad in the summers. So when my buddies were sitting there running around the world, going to the beach, I was on a roof, but I was making $20 an hour at 16 and they were begging for change. So by the time it got to, you know, I had, I had really good gear, and I had some interesting connections along the way. Um, one of my first bass rigs I purchased w- was in the tour pack from uh, John Panazzo. Um, John Panazzo, right? I can never remember the Panazzo brother. Uh, bass player, the bass player from from Sticks. Okay. So there's Ro- the brothers Rob and John, and I don't know why, but in my brain, I always. Get the two of them mixed up all the time, and they couldn't be more different because one's dead, but that's another story. Um, but that's why I bought. So I, I roll up to to rehearsal with a band, and all of my stuffs in road cases with our with the speed Speedwagon logos or with the the sorry with the Sticks logo spray painted on the side. Nice. And these guys are like, bro, what? So they always thought I was better than I really was <clears> throat> because throat> my gear was better than all of theirs. So, you know, um, but ultimately I used, to, I spend a lot of my time hanging out with the sound guys. Um, and maybe it comes from, be- maybe it comes from being a, con- being in a construction family where my grandfather always taught us that, you know, you treat, the, you know, you make sure that you treat the, the guy sweeping up the floors as good or better as you treat the, as you treat the CEO. And that's, so I figured out pretty quick that the guys that were the sound that were doing sound. Were the guys that were there too, like Henry Rollins said, they're here to they they're here two hours before you get here and are here five hours after you leave. Nobody needs your your prima donna crap. Absolutely true. Mm-hmm. So those are the guys that I would hang out with, and I would talk with, and I had a wireless, so I had my wireless bass rig, so I would hang out in front of the house, you know, kind of dialing in our sound as it were, and I would tip the sound guy and. Then I got to be friends with them, and, and at some, at one point or another, and I kind of don't know exactly how it happened, to be a hundred percent honest with you. Um, but one summer I was hanging out, and it seemed like I was working more. I was working more shows behind the scenes, scenes than I was on stage, and I was missing a lot of rehearsals because I was set. You know, oh, we've got load in for this festival, or that gig, or this other thing. And eventually, I sold my drummer, my gear, all of my gear in one shot. He's like, "Well, I'll give you twenty five hundred dollars for all of it," and I needed both a car and rent, so I was like, "Sold, bro." Um, and I, I I regret that because the one bass that was in that rig was was a complete and total freakishly awesome bass that I wish I'd never gotten rid of, and and it still hurts me to this day that I got rid of that one. And I've tried to find it. It's it's this weird hodgepodge of new and old and ancient parts and and it really is should not be anything that should be played but it was awesome and it fit me and it weighed like 40 pounds it was a swamp ash body <laughs> it was an oil it was an oiled swamp ash body so the thing weighed like 21 pounds wow with a brass pick guard and a brass base, a base whammy bar which wow. was like four pounds on its own it was milled out of two pieces of solid out of pieces of solid brass. Mm-hmm. So it weighed a ton. So the whole bass weighed like a million pounds. And I didn't care. I had like a five inch wide clear strap because it was awesome. Um but that's you know but and that's how it ended up happening is I just sort of became a sound guy because it was I wasn't that great as a bass player and these guys were cool and I was getting paid. You know and you still wanted to be part of the music industry. Yeah exactly. Exactly. I mean I never I, I never really wanted to stray too far away. Um, I tried managing for about managing a band for about five minutes. It, f- it seemed like, um, I got them one gig. We didn't get paid for it. I was like, this sucks. And I'm going to go back to humping gear. And, um, in about, it took about three years for me to work, to save up enough money that I bought the company. Well, I didn't buy the company. I bought one of the PA systems. So then I had my own PA, my own PA rig and I would do. So if big Mark had the big stage, I had the kids stage. You know, I was, while I was still trying to, to, to kind of get my feet wet and, and I miss Mark, Mark passed away a few years ago, but, uh, um, there are some people that we are, that we are mutually, uh, friends with that would, uh, that would tell you that I learned all the wrong things from Mark. And it, that one of the things that I didn't learn was how to be an actual, was how to run an actual business. And she's not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I say she's this, always right. <laughs> I, I, I say to this day that I learned a lot of things from Mark, but the things that I should have learned more was how not to do stuff. But nobody ever tells you that really. No, no, but I'm smarter than, I'm smarter than that. And I should have known if that, well, if that makes any sense. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, I, I get it. Yeah. There, there's a lot of things when I look back, it's like, you should know better, yeah. but you still do it. Yeah. And then, you know, and then came, so I, I worked my way. I worked my way up to actually touring. I toured for a bunch of bands, for a bunch of some bands. People know some bands. They don't. I, my very first tour. Wait, favorite, okay you're jumping ahead of something because I want to say
0: this and I, I'm not giving a plug to anybody, but most musicians end up working at a music store and you did work at a music store.
1: Well, yes, I did. I worked at Guitar Center for a little while, which was, well...
0: An interesting yeah.
1: event, but we'll just leave it at that. But I just wanted well, to
0: cover that because a lo- it's not—it's
1: not an unusual progression to go from. No, 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 no. Be it, and, and so, musicians are fundamentally cheap and broke, which is, which makes it fun. Which makes you know it's fun because and, and James Hetfield from Metallica said, "When you can't afford any of the ge- any of the cool gear, uh, you can't play any of it. But then, when you can afford anything you want, everyone wants to give you equipment." And he always thought that that was backwards. I don't necessarily disagree with him. Um, the uh, so I went. To, I worked at Guitar Center for a little while. Um, I tried to I tried to parlay my being a sound guy in clubs with making money at Guitar Center, and thinking now here's the uh, here this is logic for you. The logic I had in my head was okay. If I work work at Guitar Center. Then I can get microphones and gear at a discount, so that I could use it in my in my PA and stuff. And well, clearly, if I'm working at Guitar Center and working with all of these musicians, they're all my buddies. When they have money to spend, they're going to come spend it with me. That's a lie, yeah. Maurice. Maury determined that's a lie because musicians are cheap. <laughs> are, are, are cheap and well. And that's not so much that they're cheap they're very very selective we'll just call it that so um, so yeah so I worked at guitar center for a while I it was it was guitar center in a weird spot so it was in it was the old Clark Street store at Clark and Halstead in Chicago which is significant for a couple of reasons one, it's right on the edge of where all of the gay bars are which it, but at that time there was no live music in any of those bars which was weird I never understood that. Um, there were a couple of really amazing recording studios really close to there, but none of those guys ever wanted to talk to me. Um, and there's a couple of the best of, the, you know, some of the most storied clubs in Chicago, the Cabaret Metro, Kingston Mines, Buddy Guys, Legends, Blues, etc. All of those clubs were within walking distance of guitar center, except see previous statement. Musicians are very selective with the few dollars they have also known as cheap. Um, and they, t- they have a tendency to, the, the, at least the musicians I was dealing with, had a tendency to prefer cocktails and picking up girls to buying strings for their guitar.
0: Well, let's let us be honest. All well, that thought, let's be honest. How many people get into music for
1: the wrong reasons? Me included. How many do? Gene Simmons, bless his black heart, <laughs> said to Oprah Winfrey, live on the Oprah Winfrey show, that all guys are getting bans for pussy and cash live on the live on the oprah winfrey show the woman was like pullaxed he's like no no exactly it's for pussy and cash it's true i mean and, i'm not gonna any, deny it and he said and any and any musician that tells you that they're in it for the artistic integrity is full of shit Look. okay gene
0: I remember when my stepdaughter, she's like, I learned how to play bass. I'm like, did you realize that? Because she, she got a bass at 16. I'm like, do you realize the that I used to play bass? She goes, no. I'm like, yeah. And we weren't, I wasn't, she wasn't living with me at the time. And she's like, yeah, but I'm going to be a bass player. So I'm going to tell you this right now. Unless you're passionate about the music, you got a long road ahead of
1: you. It's a long and hard and grindy road. And, said, nobody, because, and, and grimy even. I said, I got into it for the wrong reasons.
0: And yeah. as much as I like playing bass, which I haven't done in a while,
1: I got into it for the wrong reasons. And I yeah. admit that. We all did. We all did. Mm-hmm. I was going to be, you know, the, the thing about it is, you know, sort of going back to when, I started, to when I started playing, I didn't understand how much work was involved to learn how to play it. I thought you put it around your neck and you were on stage with Kiss. Here,
0: See, I didn't have that problem because my friend and I were taking, she, we, we had a guitar teacher. He taught guitar and bass, and she wanted to learn guitar, and she had tiny little hands, so guitar was a good thing for her because her hands could handle the, you know, and to me I have the big clunky hands. So we'd go, we'd go and we'd take the bass. Yeah, she, he'd teach me in 15 minutes, and she'd take the rest of the time. We're still paying the same price. And he'd like, we'd go back to the next class. And I think I'd practice maybe for 30 minutes. And I come back and I, at the next lesson, he's like, so you must've been practicing all week. And I'm just sitting there going,
1: no. Well, no. some people have it and some people don't. I didn't. No, I, I and I'm
0: not bragging. It was just one of those things where it's like, and, and she would sit there and struggle because guitar is a lot harder. And I admit that. So, yeah, I, I liked playing and I still enjoy playing, but it's just, I don't, what am I going to do now? You know? Gonna play bass by myself. Uh-oh.
1: Uh oh. here we go. You froze. I did. You did. <laughs> I was like, watching myself moving. It was you. You were. You were.
0: <laughs> I was moving too. So there you go. Um. But anyway. So I mean, what am I gonna do? Play by myself? I know that's open ended, and you can go somewhere. But you, but let's not go might... there. <laughs> and you're frozen again. god damn it i hate my internet i hate my internet i really hate my internet yeah right <laughs> i don't know what you said you're just like and that was
1: it I said you can't put it on a t you can't put things like that on a T for me. I'm going to swing every time. Well, and the computer god said no you're not. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so anyway. anyway. Um, but yeah, so you know like I said, I I started hanging out with the sound guy. Oh, god damn it.
0: What the, fuck? what the actual fuckity fuck? All right. So yeah, here's what, I, what here, you actually started
1: hanging out with sound guy. Right. I was going to say, why don't we do this?
0: So we put come it, back
1: in, why don't we put it? We can either do that or we can come in when it's not three 30 in the afternoon and everybody's streaming there and everybody's streaming. It's not that it, it did this earlier today too. make it easy for <laughs> myself. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, come on. Smile. It could be worse. Oh, it always could be worse. Right. And actually a pretty good day anyway. (laughs) Yeah. No, generally you're, you're not wrong. So, so where did we leave off? We left off with, (laughs) dare I say the word
0: before zoom decides we're not going to exist. Uh, about you going on tour.
1: Oh, okay. So yeah. So working for, so I will reach back and reach back and catch some of the, uh, some of the, the highlights uh working from uh, a music store in florida thoroughbred music uh not there anymore unfortunately which is kind of a shame because it was a really cool it's a really cool weird music store and i think the world needs more cool weird music stores but um <clears throat> but that's a whole other conversation for a whole other time um but no, i was working for thoroughbred music um and then um was working through them. I was working at basically every club in the greater, uh, the greater Tampa area. There's a neighborhood down there called deep Ellum, which is where all the nightlife is rock bars next to what's that. Dallas has that area too. Yes. It's deep I'm Ellum sorry. As well. It's not deep. Ellum. That's you're right. That's the, that's the Dallas Fort worth one. Um, I'm drawing a blank on what it is in Tampa now because my brain doesn't work like it used to. Um, okay. Oh God, what the hell is that neighborhood now? It's gonna drive me crazy until I remember. It, and all of a sudden out of nowhere it's gonna pop into my head. Mm-hmm. Um but essentially it's it's like much like Deep Ellum in, in Dallas. Um is that actually Dallas or is that is that Austin?
0: It's Dallas. Is it's it Dallas, Dallas because I used to go. And okay. I used to have a really cool bar called Video Bar that used to have video screens and yeah,
1: and Yeah, my um I'm friends with Jason uh Jason McMaster from Dangerous Toys and they're generally from Austin, but they played a lot in the Dallas area, the Austin, San Antonio, they're from basically Austin, San Antonio and played in Dallas a lot. So, you know, I've had those conversations with, with Jason about that neighborhood a lot. Um, but that said, um, working in a bunch of bars, you know, working at clubs, had my system and had basically everything about as wired up as I could have, to quote a Chicago expression. Um, I had I, four nights a week. I was sorry, five nights a week. I was working. I was going out and partying one night a week and had the, my, you know, Monday and Tuesday were my days off. I was living with a girl who was a bartender. Um, well, we we're sort of living together. My stuff kind of, my stuff lived, you know, my three duffel bags lived in her apartment, but I don't know that I would call that my address. Um, the 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 people that owned thoroughbred at the time owned a condo right on clearwater beach and that was kind of all the guys that were touring and working there that didn't really have an apartment that was our address so um just kind of it was the john john and 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 donna the the people that ran the that ran thoroughbred were some really really great people and when he passed away that was that was a big hit to the to the, uh, to the general community, which is kind of a, you know, kind of a bummer, but anyway, um, through them, I, they got, they would do, there, there was a music store in the Chicago area called Gan Music and Sound that did a lot of the same sort of stuff in the Midwest. And that was small club tours. I'd say venues, 1500 seats and below. So, um, if you're in the Chicago area that we would, they, you know, they would supply sound for, Everything from you know local nightclubs like the Thirsty Whale up to say the Vic Theater, or the Riv. Maybe I'm nah, more like the Riv. The Riv's the a little Double bigger Door. than the Vic. Oh yeah, they did stuff at Double Door, places like that all the time. Um, I, that size back in the day. Um, <clears throat> so working for them, um, you know, I was actually with funny story, <laughs> weird funny story. Um, before I had gotten the I'd gotten the gig with the Spin Doctors, and that was. 17 dates in 41 days 17 shows in 41 days in 41 days okay which is a which was a big it was night we had no nights off well we technically had a couple of days off in between venues but we were in we were touring in a winnebago so it was a you know motorhome with a with a trailer 16-foot trailer behind us and we started in Clearwater and we went up into vermont or no delaware and then back down so it was just this little loop now, yeah.
0: i know who the spin doctors are but for the audience that may not know who the spin doctors are
1: what was one of their biggest hits pocket full of crypt um two princes pocket full of kryptonite um cleopatra's cat which was this, their second their second big single they had and they were what's really funny is the song is they were a new york jam band They were a jazz based jam band. So everything that they did live was completely not what you would expect. And they had an MTV video head with um, a pocket full of kryptonite that just exploded. Mm -hmm. And it was like, all of a sudden everyone's like, Oh, we want to be like them. And it was fantastic. Except what they were. I I knew a guy back in the day who was the sound guy for the romantics in their, in their big MTV eighties. Heyday. And he told, he told me a story that was very similar with the, with the romantics. And when I tell the, how this relates is that it was the exact same thing with the spin doctors. Um, the guys in the romantics were actually a bunch of like drunken drug at ad, drug addled, like, you know, psychos. They were co- completely not what you see in the, the secrets that you keep videos and all the stuff that they're polished up shiny MTV image that kind of happened. Um, kind of like the Beatles where when the Beatles were in Germany, they were these essentially these dirt balls, these like biker dirt balls that Brian Epstein polished up. And then the world knows the Beatles kind of like that with the romantics, except that when they got on stage from this massive world tour, us tour, they were headlining 60,000 seaters. I mean, big, big venues, mm-hmm. the drummer comes out and he's, you know, throwing Jack Daniels bottles at people in the front row and he's just right not what I, you know you all the little girls that are have their all the little mtv girls little like 13 14 year olds that have their secrets that you keep flats mm-hmm. and stuff and they go backstage and the drummer's like hey how you doing <laughs> yeah. yeah dude she's 14 oh even better if we had two of them gonna be a 28 awesome <laughs> right See,
0: most, I, i've read stories <laughs> i've read stories from some bands and excess Duran, Duran, that their tour tour got tour
1: people put on the itinerary mm-hmm. each city the the legal age oh yeah that actually that actually is an old that that comes from our friends in grand funk railroad because because you've heard the song american we're an american band yeah that mm-hmm. stuff happened and really? they you know the hotel the hotel detective little connie was 17 years old in 1968 when she met those guys i mean this that that's that stuff was for real um Less less of an issue with me when I got to tour when I was touring because all of that stuff with with the spin doctors happened to before I knew before I worked with them. Okay. So we we used to joke the club that I worked at here in Chicago and the one um, gasoline alley which is the one in, in in Tampa that I miss and it's gone. It, it, it they had a fire in the kitchen and it burned to the ground and it was a heartbreak because it was a really fun club had a really great vibe. Um, but the the Thirsty Whale, which is the kind of the 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 mecca here in Chicago, that all the rock guys we still it, it, Julian, my wife refers to it as the cult of the Thirsty Whale, the cult of River Grove, and yes, it was the 2,500 of us that were there every weekend. Still to this day, 35 years after it closed, we're still like, oh, I missed that place so much, oh, so much of my childhood. Yeah, well, you know, when you don't go to clubs and you're not a musician and you don't hang out with bands lots of people don't understand what that's all about, but, um, and my son's 24, Jordan's 24. And I wish, I wish, I really wish he would have had a place like that to hang out and, and, and understand the vibe that we had, that all of the guys my age and my generation had playing in bands and hanging out with bands and doing sound and this, that community we had, but anyway, um, so we were, at the whale we used to say that you would see bands on their way up and on their way down because we had a lot of bands that would come through the whale like in a van on their first tour ever their first club tour and then a year later they'd be there in you know in a in a broken down tour bus playing on again and after the record the second record stiffed (laughs) <laughs> they can't yeah, find anywhere yeah. else to play. Yeah, they'd play the whale. You know, um, Stevie Rochelle, who runs Metal Sludge, tells some really great stories about playing the whale multiple times in his band. Tough. Um, they had an MTV hit called "I Hate Kissing You Goodbye." You know, look it up. It's it's hair. It's it's hair metal power ballads at its finest. Stevie looked more like a chick than he did a guy. <laughs> but that's a lot, that's <laughs> another story. Well that's a whole um, dude
0: that looks like a lady moment anyway.
1: <laughs> yep. But uh so so tour with the, with went out with the spin doctors, had a great time. They were great guys, they were a whole lot of fun. Chris lost his voice and ended up having to go in for surgery. The reason to the tour the, the that tour he got, he was strong. His voice was really strong, but all the way through about two thirds of the way through, it started to fail. He developed um, polyps on his lymph nodes or on his on his developed polyps on his vocal cords so he had to, you know he couldn't sing basically so they had to they had to kill the tour i go back to florida take all the gear I've i'm me and it was i was the tour manager and front of house engineer and guitar tech and i had a monitor guy and a drum tech and it was the two of us oh three of us because we had one guy running the merch table for those of you that don't know anybody who doesn't know anything about the music business if you ever go see a band in concert And I implore you to go see local bands live. Can't stress it enough. We don't get new music without those, you know, every band that you see on, on, you know, here on Spotify or whatever, they were playing a local bar at one point in their life. Buy the t-shirt. Yeah. Buy, when you go to see a band that plays live, even if they're playing the Enormo Dome, buy the t-shirts because that's how bands stay on the road that t-shirt when you see a local a local touring band or a little a a small band touring in a bar and you you know they say hey are you guys on tour yeah oh absolutely we're on tour that t-shirt that you buy that twenty dollar t-shirt granted they probably paid six bucks to have it to have it made but that's how they eat and put gas in their tank and get things set up for the net for the rest of the tour that's how they that's how they function because anyone who believes that they're going to get rich with Spotify plays, and you and I can go through the Spotify, can go through the, the I've, that I've whole talked, thing.
0: I've talked to other artists about it on, on here, yeah. and you know, I've also talked to people like Hudson Valley. They have a standing gig at uh, Blake Shelton's Club, Red, Oh mm-hmm. Red. And so they they're the house band basically. So they have a steady gig, but most bands don't have that. Yeah, they don't have very, that luxury.
1: Almost none of them do. And if you're and if you're touring, especially now, gas is expensive. Diesel, you know, it used to be that we would always rent diesel trucks because diesel get ga- because diesel fuel was, you know, a dollar twenty five cents cheaper than gas. So we'd always want to get to diesel. Now it doesn't matter anymore. Diesel and and regular fuel are the same. But yeah, I, I can't I can't. I can't stress this enough. That's how those guys eat because you can only have so many deli trays and so many, and so many little Caesars pizzas. Now the upside was when we were in New York, which is where the guys from uh, the spin doctors are from. And there's a live, there's a live spin doctors show on YouTube floating out there somewhere. Um, I mixed that show. Okay. <laughs> I, that was, that was a show in a little club. Um, it wasn't the iridium, but it was a couple of blocks down the, it was a couple of blocks away from the iridium. The iridium theater is where Les Paul had a standing Monday jazz night. Nice. And um, I used to, there's a, a club in LA that does the same thing called the Baked Potato. And the baked potato is like twenty people can fit in the place. But you go to the baked potato or the iridium, and depending on who's in town, you'll get Steve Lukather from Toto sitting on stage with, you know, he'll be sitting on he when when Les was alive. Les would go down and play and whoever was in town, you'd have Eddie Van Halen, Steve Lukather, Vi and some schlep from, you know, some dude from Yonkers all what, sitting what? in and jamming on stage at once. Like the Viper room back in the day, back in the kind of, yeah. yeah, yeah, very, yeah. very much like that. And like, actually at the Viper room, um, my buddy, uh, my friend, Alex Kane, who was in God, I sound like a name dropping jackass, don't I? Um, it's okay. Uh, my friend Alex Kane, who's a producer, who used to be in a band called Life, Sex, and Death, which is arguably one of the greatest hard rock performance art pieces that didn't really catch on and was actually killed by Beavis and Butthead. Really? Yeah. Um, there's an episode. They, were, they got to be on Beavis and Butthead. Mike Judge actually really liked LSD. Um, and, and Chicago guys, they, they're, they're really great what was the way Alex described them? They were the beach boys plus the Ramones. I'm sorry. Cheap trick plus the Ramones with a little bit of slayer thrown in for fun. Okay. Okay. So really, really great, really great band. Um, But their lead singer was doing basically a performance art piece while he was kind of losing his mind. He was bipolar and nobody knew what it was at the time. Okay. So he would, his family was very, very wealthy. Um, and Stanley used to go up on stage in this like Louis Vuitton suit that looked like, and I'm pretty sure that he actually rolled in dumpsters in and smelled like a homeless guy and looked like a homeless guy. Wow. Okay. And he would come walking in and everybody be like, what's going on? And the smell, like they were like, he was the theatrical stink for a long time that was supposed to smell like a rotting corpse. And it did. And it would literally, he would walk in, he would catch it outside like five minutes before he walked in and it would sting your eyes it was that bad well then he'd go up on stage and he'd have a piano on stage and he'd play the song called blue velvet moon which was him playing this beautiful piano piece and singing with this and then all of a sudden the rock band would kick in and everyone was like what is this i don't know how to deal with what i am seeing on this stage was that kind of how beavis and butthead reacted that's why he got killed or what? no they played they played their video they had a video for a song called school is for fools uh-huh. and all beavis and butthead were like, this sucks these uh-huh. guys are stupid like this is lame like the whole time and i'm just watching beavis and but i was excited this is my these are my these are chicago guys these are like these. You know, I saw these guys playing at a bar called Haymakers when there was seven people in the room and four of them were bartenders. I mean, it was <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. We knew, Chicago people. Just you know, they got this. And, and Alex says to this day, like Corey Taylor from Slipknot, in his solo shows, plays two of their so- plays two LSD songs in his solo band. Like right. It's like yeah. these, you know, Marilyn Manson did a cover of fuck of, of one of their songs called fucking shit ass, um, which is hilarious. It's actually the, the, the story behind the song goes that um, a member of a very, 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 very popular LA band actually stole the wallet from the, stole the singer's wallet. Well, the first time they went to LA before they were doing this whole performance piece thing, they were a band called bottoms up and they went to LA and Rumor has it it was a it was a member of Rat who's currently who who's actually deceased, um, picked his pocket and stole it. You know, and the opening song of the, the the opening the opening line of the song is some fucking shit ass stole my money, some fucking shit ass thinks he's funny, (laughs) because it was like he picked his wallet just to prove he could. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But um, but yeah, so like these songs, these there's bands that love this band and. Alex to this day is like, I have no idea why you people are so, so, vi- so rabidly fans of this little band no one's ever heard of. And it's funny because it, it, I think back to hearing about bands like Poco and Baby, which had John with the Jonathan Wade in it. And there's all these bands that people that you never really, you, you heard of. Like you'd hear of, you know, who are your influences? And they'd list these bands you'd never heard of. So you'd run out to the local record store and try to find those records. Um LSD's a band like that, like King's X as well, which is another, you know, band that everybody that was the, you know, one of the greatest bands that never really made it. You know, YNT is another one of mine where where they opened for everybody. Motley Crue, like Motley Crue's first tour was opening for YNT. A year uh, three years later, YNT was opening for Motley on Theater of Pain. And Dave is still playing to this day. It's like why are we what what happened? How did we not be massive kind of thing yeah, um but you know, so looping back so I, I get back to to um to thoroughbred after the the tour with the spin doctors doesn't quite go off and and it and it's unfortunate because that tour was set to be a nationwide tour. We were going up the east coast first um because we happened to catch really good weather and we and we caught really great weather for it, but then as we came down through Pennsylvania, we were going to start going west, but he Chris got sick and we didn't, so they had to kill the rest of the tour. Which I was really looking forward to coming back to Chicago, and saying, "Ha, I'm on tour. None of the rest of you morons are." <laughs> <clears throat> I'm I'm the guy that you guys all said wasn't going to do squat. Um, and now you have I've, your tail between your legs. And um, no, no, it's a, not my fault. You know, yeah, no, I, I couldn't I know. help it. He got sick. I know. I know. Um, I know but then I get back. What's funny then is I get back to the, I get back to the shop. Um, and as I'm walking through the shop, lo and behold, I hear dude behind me. And I'm like, Oh God, what And I'm going now? I, I have at this point, I'm back. I'm back for about two weeks and I'm working at a, at a, at a venue called Ruth Eckert's hall. And it, Ruth, Ruth Eckert's Hall in Tampa is very, in, in that area is very, very much like the Vickers in Chicago or the Riviera or um, the Ryman Auditorium in Nashville. Um, oh, uh, what's the one in, in, San, in uh, San Antonio? Uh, I had it on the tip of my tongue and I just lost it. But it's, it's one of these class, like the whiskey. It's one of these vis- these venues that's just venerable and everybody's played there. Um, I was working th- at that point, um, for six shows of what became the Lilith tour ultimately. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the time was, uh, this is like 1993 ish. I probably got my dates wrong. Um, it was, uh, Tori Amos and Alanis Morissette. Okay. And both of them had, were just starting to catch fire. I would yeah. be, 95. Is would be 94, ninety five. Was that ninety four, ninety five? Okay, I'm yeah, just
0: because, trying. Yeah, to... because you ought to know came out right around the time
1: I left my first husband. Okay, so, yeah. Um, yeah, it was 95. just before Jagged Little Pill hadn't quite dropped yet. Okay. It was so it hadn't so all right so maybe ninety four ninety four ish. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was about to go on that tour. That was going to be the big deal, and it's really funny and and it broke my heart when I heard that he passed away. But Taylor Hawkins was. Drumming for both bands at the time, oh wow! So he was kind of playing back. He was kind of playing in, in Tori's band. She only she only had a couple of songs that weren't her and a piano. Um, not that that's a slight on Tori by any stretch, because Tori Amos and a piano at that time was super powerful. Yeah. Um, but Taylor Hawkins was playing in Alanis's band at the time. He she had just left Sass Jordan, um, which Sass Jordan is one of those Canadians. Canadian. She's the Canadian M- Melissa Ether- actually. She was described as the Canadian pet Benatar. Okay. So she's not that tall. She's little. Uh, I'd say she I'd say, God, Sass is probably five five, five, six, maybe. But she's got all of the power in her voice that Ann that Ann Wilson has, with all of the grit of Janice Joplin and all the attitude of like, you know, I don't know, uh Joan Jett probably or or Lita Ford you know, kind of that. She's a rocker girl. She is a stone cold rocker girl. And, um, you know, again, huge in Canada had kind of, uh, had kind of a little bit of a, of a twinkling of success in the States, but not much. Um, here I am, I'm showing my age cause this is the early nineties and Lord knows no one cares. <laughs> well, I'm older than you are. So, Hey, hush are. up. We're not talking about that. Um, <laughs> So, so I was getting some stuff together for that tour, getting my system together and, and the like, while they were, while they were doing their shows at, at, at Ruth Eckards. and to hear dude behind me, I was like, Oh God, this is not going to go well. And it didn't because what it was, it was the guys in a particularly popular death metal band called cannibal Corps that remembered me from when they played at the thirsty whale. And I was on the crew at the thirsty whale And I was the only house monitor guy that was ever able to get the monitor so that those guys could hear themselves. Oh, no. They had been playing a club tour. And, I mean, Donna, I had the monitor. The monitor system at the Whale was loud. The front of house system was even louder. This is a stage that was probably 12 feet deep. At, at At its deepest point was probably 19 feet deep. It was probably 18 feet deep but only about 16 or 18 feet wide. And it had a bit of a, had a, like a 13 foot ceiling. So, I mean, it was just this pocket and I could peel paint off the walls. I have literally have hearing loss in my ears that correspond exactly with the mon- Q wedge up here that I had to listen to, to try to hear anything of what was going on stage and the mid pack, the mid packs and the bass bins that were right here to my left for all the years that I spent at that, at that, place um all the low end in my left ear kind of drops off at about 120 120 cycles but in my right ear all of the high frequencies drop off at like 4k Mm -hmm. but if you look at my left ear it does this but then it does this (laughs) and in my right ear it goes my right ear goes like this and then like that. (laughs) so they they balance off because the human the human body does that Um, but apparently these guys wanted me to go on tour with them. So I did. So I lost the cool tour with all the good stuff and the good food. And I did clubs with a death metal band. Why did, why did you do that? I didn't have a choice. That's what I was. My choice was go on this tour, make Mm -hmm. $1,400. I, I was the tour manager and front of house engineer. It was three bands. I only had to front of house. I only had to mix one. I got this is 1994. Yeah, this is, this is 94, early 95. Okay. I was making $1,200 a week with a $50 a day per diem and an extra $100 a week for being, you know, on from side tips from anybody who, you know, for, yeah, I did it because I needed to pay rent. It was That's bad. You know, true. I was only going to get, I was only going to get 450 a week. And a twenty-five dollar a day per diem to be on the other tour. I understand. So I took money and pop money and living in a in a hovel, living on a bus, over not getting paid anything, but rolling through rolling through with really good buses and good food, mostly vegan, but eh, you know.
0: I, I get. It. I had a steady job, and I had the opportunity to work on a TV show and make a thousand dollars a week,
1: with the possibility of having no job at the end. Yep, the things we do, the things we do when we're young and dumb and full of enthusiasm. Well, it's, <laughs> I'm going to follow my dream. I'm going right. to pursue what I want to pursue. Exactly. So I go on tour with the guys in Cannibal Corpse. Turns out they're five of the nicest guys in the world. They're absolute sweethearts, and I know that I'm ruining their entire reputation by anyone who hears this. Those guys have kids. They have their daughter. Um, the guitar player at the time, whose name escapes me. It was like they've had they they had they had a, a revolving a revolving door of of um of guitar players for a period of time. Uh the one that was on my tour and I knew knew from the whale, I think was the second lead guitar player they had in the history of the band. Um and again, his name escapes me at the time. But his daughters would come out and they were the cutest little things. They were awesome. And they'd be running around soundcheck with big gun muffs, like the like the range mm-hmm. shooting muffs. Well, we were playing, and you know, uh, Soundcheck was never a Cannibal Corp song. It was always like an old Thin Lizzy track. We played Thin Lizzy songs. We played, you know, jam on on old Kiss tunes and stuff. And all the it was always funny because we could never we could always get kids to help us unload and load the trucks, you know, because we we toured. That was the night. That was one of the biggest bigger tours I was on. We had a bus, an actual bus for all the band members, and the gear was in a. 22 foot straight truck with a trailer behind it for merchandise. So we always, you know, so it was dock height and we needed kids to help unload stuff. Okay. For a, for a $6 t-shirt, kids would unload the truck. Like I'd have an army of kids out there helping me unload trucks. It was awesome. Um, yeah, so that was, that was fun. Um, I did that for a while there until, you know, some hijinks. So so what a lot, so I'm going to, I'm going to, going to break uh, going to break what, uh, what everybody thinks about, you know, lots of people are going to think, of, oh, well you were on tour with metal bands. God, the backstage must've been awesome. No, but the, all the partying you guys, everybody hears about, you know, you used to read about in the magazines about how they had, you know, Van Halen had all these parties every night. No, they didn't. They had a meet and greet, but you know, early, early in a tour, mm-hmm. you do that early mm-hmm. in a tour. Hang on. Mm-hmm early in the tour that Mm -hmm. stuff happened a lot depending Mm -hmm. on the length of your tour by the way Mm -hmm. if you were out for a year and a half you couldn't party like that every night you'd be dead Mm -hmm. even nikki six and the guys at motley crew couldn't party like that there were lots of stretches where they would go to the hotel pass out get woken up get on the get in the van go to the venue do sound check go to the dressing room sleep because physically you couldn't do it. I mean, you're just, your human body eventually will shut down. Um, in my experience, you got a lot of that partying in the first, like two weeks when everything was still fresh and new. And we were, we're, 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 we're doing it. We're doing this. We're doing this. We're doing this. Mm-hmm. And then in the middle of the tour, it was just a job. Mm-hmm. It was a gig. It was, we have to be here, bus call, sound check, sleep, dinner, mm-hmm. venue, you know, doors, show rinse repeat for the next six weeks and then at the very tail end of the show because it was a lot of oh my god we were almost done with this mm-hmm. you know?
0: <laughs> that one i will agree with because there is a band that i that i i was hanging out with them at the last show of their tour in the united states and it was in new orleans and we went from paddos to another bar and then i was invited to go to the hotel with a friend for quote-unquote underwear party? No. I didn't go.
1: Well, I have, like more, I have more common sense than that. <clears throat> but sure. anyway. I not we, we had our fair share of those. I mean, don't mm. get me wrong. There were, you know, there becomes a certain point. Like, I was out with Cannibal Corpse. We were out for 16 weeks, 17 weeks. all Going all up and down the East Coast. We got as close to Chicago as Dublin, Ohio. So we were or not Dublin. Uh, columbus we got we hit columbus we had three days in columbus and kind of went "Eh, okay and then back and then kind of went back um whoever was booking our tours i think had either had tourettes or 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 some sort of other physical abnormality that that made them draw like this on a map instead of being very logical the way you know i i thought the best tours the, the best tour i was ever on was with um we were uh we got hired in. We got subcontracted by Claire Brothers Audio. Claire Brothers, for those that don't know, is the biggest sound company. If you're going to a sh- to a show, to see anybody at a full blown 20 seat venue, 20,000 seat venue, play, it's a it's a Claire Brothers show. They're Claire Brothers Showco, and I think they bought the they they bought their Canadian competition or merged with them a few years ago. But that's literally the big. They're the big dogs woofing. There isn't anybody else. Um, when I was coming up you had db sound out of chicago out of displays technically um and they did little bands like they did the rolling stone steel wheel tour they did metallica. Little bands yeah yeah little, little bands. bands metallica madonna um gloria estefan and sound machine which is which the the owner of that told me once that that was the best paid they ever got they did there was great band and they paid ridiculously well for no and he's like and it's the same system we bring for we didn't do anything differently, but they just decided, they told us, hey, we want to pay you this much. And I went, that's 35% more than I would have quoted you. Sold! <laughs> so, um, but yeah. I, I do, go, ahead. go ahead. No, no, no go. I was just going to say, uh, you know, back to the touring thing, though.
0: I mean, most people have this misconception, like you said, that it's all partying. And most bands will tell you that they, will, they can't go to sleep. And, and the, just because they're not partying per se with a ton of people doesn't mean they're not going back, getting drunk or intoxicated, oh, yeah. playing pass out, get up, get on a bus, get on a plane, and don't even know where the hell they're at. There, that part is very much
1: true. That The the old joke where the guy says, and they had it in a commercial for something, I don't remember, it was like, you know, thank, thank you, Cleveland, we love you. Um, dude, Cleveland was last night. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is true. Um, the the scorpions when the scorpions would tour back in the old days um they had on klaus Meiners monitor wedges they had a giant piece of white tape that would be the name of the city that they were in that night because those guys toured for uh, iron maiden toured for what 19 and a half months straight mm-hmm. metallica was on the road with the black album for 36 months straight and basically the same same thing. Yeah. I mean they were constantly touring. Yeah, and it's and and it's it's hard. It's hard. Okay. It's hard on everything. And so for the for you to have those parties and a lot of time those parties would be oh, it's it's the guitar tech's birthday. It's an excuse for, you know, in the middle of the tour to it's an excuse to break the monotony right. for a day or two or hey, we've got 3 days off in Miami. Woohoo! We can sleep this one off. And well, yeah.
0: I mean, when you talk about, you know, and the misconception of things, let's talk about David Lee Roth. He was always Mm -hmm. known as the wild man. And then like what in the 2000s, suddenly he was a paramedic. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's like, you know, and it's Brian May. Isn't he like an astrophysicist?
1: He is. He is in fact. And uh, Brian May is in fact an astrophysicist. Um, Jeff Skunk Baxter from the Doobie Brothers and Steely Dan, defense contractor and has... Uh, d- designs guided missile systems.
0: Wow!
1: Like but, I mean, the that, actual guidance system is what he designs.
0: This this is the thing. It's like we have such misconceptions. And I mean, yes, I've written the classic sex, drug and rock and roll book. We know this. And, and I mean, the thing is it is, it is what we are sold because of TV show or movies like the dirt, which I'm sure took some liberties based on that book.
1: Yeah, but it's not it's really a- the
0: whole story. Oh, uh, no, no. Oh, uh, I hate this.
1: I'm going to disappear. Fuck. Yeah. You froze. I froze, whatever. Okay. You were saying, well, what you were saying about like the dirt and, and, yeah. and, and that were there liberties taken with that stuff. Absolutely. Because in truth, had they actually, if, had anyone, even what Nikki wrote in the book, even what those guys wrote in the book, if the actual truth came out, lots of those guys would go to prison. You know, the actual, you know, some of the action, some of the, you know, the story of, uh, you know, from the dirt, the story of John Collodner their A&R guy, Nikki banging his girlfriend right then and there. Are we sure that wasn't actually rape? We don't know. We'll never know nobody's talking nobody's telling but if it, the truth really came out i got a feeling a lot of things would be very you know and well,
0: i've interviewed Vaughn campbell he's worked with john oates mm-hmm. and he's talked to john oates and john oates is john basically has said it's a good thing we didn't have oh the yeah that we had back you know that we have now back then because we wouldn't have done half the things
1: oh god no oh absolutely You know, there's an old joke is that, you know, I'm so happy I did all the dumb shit I did before there were cell phones. Yeah. You know, it's true because Mm -hmm. quite frankly, you know, I'm not saying, I'm not saying I don't want anyone, I don't want there to be any misconceptions. I was no angel. I never took some things as far as a lot of people did. I mean, you know, there's some guys, I, there's some guys in a band that I just recorded uh, about a year ago, actually. Um, got him in the studio. They're, the the CD is cut. The the Mud Facade CD is coming out. It's what we we joked and called it called it Mud Facade. Um, band was called Mudface. Um, when I met the singer and the guitar player, I was standing I I was running the backstage area in the load-in area at a theater, and I was standing on the load-in ramp trying to get two bands in two ba- three bands in and two bands out after you know changeover time. Mm -hmm. And there were four girls standing there in the way, like literally in the middle of the traffic pattern Mm -hmm. that were like, oh my God, this is backstage. And I said, I had a particular line that I will tell you off off air because otherwise, you know, I'm sure that nobody wants to hear what it was. But the guys in the guys in the band looked at me like, oh my God, you're my hero. You said that out loud to this day. I'm embarrassed that I said it out loud. I mean, I was not, I was 22 and should have probably been arrested for it quite frankly. <laughs> but, True. you know, again, there were no cell phones, there was no video taken, there was no, yeah. you know, there was none of, there was no social media outcry.
0: There was no cameras in the hallway at a hotel. So if you went up
1: on the band's floor
0: and you were talking to uh, somebody, one of your friends squealed and the bodyguard comes out wearing a towel and nothing else and says, what the hell are you doing here? Nobody has record of this. You're just like,
1: oh, fuck. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, I don't, and I, and there's part of me that thinks that, that stuff has made music safe. Mm-hmm. Um one of my favorite one one of my favorite comedians the late great Bill Hicks used to say that you know all those people that are doing all those rock bands that are doing all of those mothers against drunk driving commercials and 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 don't drink when they make music yeah they suck and you know you know they aren't aren't high as fuck when they're recording yeah those guys are terrible and you know I've listened to a lot of I've listened over the years I've listened to a lot of articles with producers that you know, produce the records that I love. Um Max Norman working with Motley Crue on Shout at the Devil in Theatre of Pain and um Bo Hill talking about the guys in a rat and and um, oh and his uh Don Landy and the producer, the Van Halen's producer whose name escapes me at the moment, which is embarrassing because he's also the Doobie Brothers producer, um, talking about how hard those guys worked and how sometimes it was awesome. And sometimes it was work to get the, you know, the records that we love, that we know and love to actually get the performances out of those guys, you know, it was hard. And, and I've produced records before. I know how hard it is. And I didn't, you know, and I never thought in my entire life, you know, I thought it was going to be easy. I went to school, you know, I went to, to, I, I, I'm not a college graduate. I'm, 11 or seven credits shy of actually getting my diploma, but my diploma doesn't act. My degree doesn't actually exist anymore. So I was a recording arts and sciences major with an artist management minor, which means I was pushing cases and coiling cables. (laughs) It really, you know, but the time I spent in the studio, the studio is magic. The studio is church. And I've, I've been fortunate enough and I'm working with a couple of bands. Now there'll be a couple of things probably in the next year, that are going to come out, um, that have my fingerprints all over them. And the producer part of it is so much harder than I ever dreamed it was going to be. Um, engineering, you know, the, with, with the dawn of, you know, with, and back in my touring days, we were kind of the pioneers. We we're at the bleeding edge of digital consoles, and, and all of that stuff came, you know, all of the digital stuff came up and the things that now that they can do, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I can produce a 260 track record in my laptop mm-hmm. in my on, on the table that all my stuff is sitting on right now is, you know, I had to pull the 32 inch monitor out because it washed my, because the light from the monitor <laughs> washed out my face. Um, but I can pull that up on that, you know, on that screen now. And, and we, we got to that point. Because again, you know, going back to the economy, in back in you know 2002, 2003, when the first gas, when the when the the the, the last ga- big gas crunch hit, mm-hmm. all of a sudden bands couldn't tour with you know 17 or 20, you know, semi trucks. All of a sudden, the touring companies are like, yeah, you've got to cut half of your, produ- figure out how to make the same production with half the trucks because gas is too expensive. That was back when diesel, when diesel, when they matched when they lined up diesel fuel with, with gas, was in the early 2000s. Once that happened, all of a sudden, you, you know that that's when a lot of that stuff happened, and you realized that you could put in a digital footprint. You know, you didn't need a 90 channel console or two, you know, 260 60 right. channel desks next to each other. Hey, we can have one desk and flip and flip scenes you know, and do that and the guys that you know and, and that's and that's where, you know, I bought I, I miss the days of big ugly Grand Stack PAs because that's what I grew up on. You know, walking into a room and seeing what you know, we used to we used to laugh about the psycho the the psychoacoustics of walking into a venue, looking on stage and seeing two gigantic black boxes of noise, one on each side of the stage. And it looked loud. And it looked angry and it looked awesome. Yeah, <laughs> Well, and yeah. everybody
0: had their monitors in front of them. And, and now right. it's like, oh, I got them in
1: my ears. Right. Which from, a, so, so I have this running, what I call it, what I call a running gun battle with the guitar player that I work with. He does not like ear in-ear monitors at all because the times that he's tried to use them, they weren't fitted to his ears. They were the bottom end cheapest ones they could get their hands on and the battery pack and the, and the body packs were terrible. They didn't have long enough cables, so he would always, like, if he looked down, they'd pop out of his ear or he'd pull it back. Yeah, mm-hmm. all of the, and, and I keep telling him, I keep saying, Maddie, everything about that is wrong because you did it the worst, the wrongest possible way. You looked at all of the possible ways to make this a bad experience, and you chose all of them. And you were successful. And you were six, su- yeah, you succeeded in it being <laughs> the crappiest experience known to man. Um, And, and, so I have this, I am having this running gun battle with him now in the same band, the other guitar player has agreed to, to go to ears and he's saving his money to get the molds made. Our singer has ears. Our bass player is leaning to, is, 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 sort of lean. that he, he's that Sequoia, he's that Sequoia that's been cut in the, in the forest and is starting to lean over a little bit and it's going to eventually fall. Um, our drummer has been playing with headphones for years and now he's going to get, he's gotten ears so that it's a little easier. So I've just got to get Maddie. I got to get Maddie over the fence. Um, so from an engineering standpoint, love in ears because I don't have as much stage noise to deal with because I don't have monitors coming this way and amps coming this way and microphones in the way and phase cancellation and all that. I don't have that. At the same time, I understand from a musician's perspective, if you can't hear yourself, you can't sing, you can't. Yeah, I get, I get all that, but you know, I miss, I still miss having, you know, uh, Jason McMaster from Dangerous Toys had the best monitor system ever. He used to bring it with him everywhere he went. It was six, ten-inch speakers. The, the the little baby monitors, the little itty-bitty ones, and he would set them up in a in a circle so he would run run across it like a ramp. It was awesome, <laughs> but they were his, so he could do that. It was it was fun. You know, those guys are those guys were a, a gas. I. I got to say that, as rambling as this as this interview is, um, I've had a really great career in the music business. Um, mm-hmm. It was a lot of fun. I did a lot of things I shouldn't have. I did a lot of dumb shit that probably should have gotten me killed. But the um, thing is, your career is not over. No, not not by any stretch. I'm mixing your podcast. I'm doing the sound editing on your podcast. Um, but got, you don't. You get. You have more than that. So well. Please. Yeah, I got a couple, I got a couple of things that are coming out, but, um, I still have to, I still have, I have a lot of ways to go and mm-hmm. I keep, I, I, I'm, I have one particular artist that's kind of been a boat anchor that is going to get cast aside this year. If things don't change really soon, um, unfortunately I'm going to be releasing them from their, from their, you know, not actually signed, but handshake agreement with my, with me to, to move on. Um. I've got a couple other podcasts coming down the line that are are, where I'm in discussions with to do their production as well, but uh, you're always going to have priority just so you know. (laughs) I'm not worried. I'm not worried.
0: I've cut it down
1: to one episode a week and I'm not worried. Yeah. You do, you do, you do an amazing job, by the way. I gotta, I gotta say that the from, and and I will say this, and I will say this unlike a lot of other, a lot of other creatives I've worked with, you don't take my suggestions for change personally. No. You you just, you look at it and I, and I don't know if that's your radio background or not, but you say, okay, he, 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 he kind of, you know, the, the, the chubby guy, the chubby guy with one eye over there, he kind of knows what he's talking about. So I think I'll, I'll do this. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> we used to have air checks. Yep.
0: I, I never turned in my tapes. Why? Because I, I, I hate it the way I sounded. I have some of my air check tapes, though. I oh, hate it the I gotta way hear I some sound of this. I got to hear so some of that stuff. So I, uh, I never turned them in. And so for you to say that I, I don't take this personally, and I don't, it's because I've matured enough. I think, I think putting out my own book, because that was mm-hmm. like the biggest thing of putting my own self out there, mm-hmm. I kind of said, okay, this is it. You either take it or leave it. And if you have something, if you have something constructive to say, that's going to improve it. Or improve what I'm doing, then fine.
1: But if you're just spouting shit to spout shit, then I'm going to tell you to go fuck yourself. Oh, there so, you. well, and, I, and and you know, I've had resume generating events a lot over the years. That's 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 what I call those. Go fuck yourselves. You, know? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but I mean, you, you don't.
0: You've given me constructive criticism to try to make a show better, and that's mm-hmm. that is good to have because when you're doing something by yourself, you are looking at it from a very narrow point, narrow, narrow parameter. Right, and I'm flying by the seat of my pants. I didn't go to school for this.
1: Um, nobody did, and uh, <laughs> it's you know you you were smart enough to embrace a podcast as oh wait it's a radio show. Mm-hmm. That's really all it is. It's a radio show, mm-hmm. and you get so, to talk about whatever you want, right? So, and use whatever language you choose. So, um, as long as you flag it, that's the yeah, that's the that's the trick. So. What else you want to talk about? Anything, or or are we uh, season six? This is season six, right? No,
0: it's not. This is season five. Oh, this it's still the, five. Okay, this is the end. This is the end, end of season five. Beautiful friend, the end. Sorry. The end. You know, it's it's like we're <laughs> gonna put the bow on it, and that'll be it. And oh, yes. This is,
1: oh, this this. this
0: This is is gonna be the bow okay yeah well no i'm just no i'm yeah well it was supposed to start the season and it ended up being the end of the season because last time we had problems too remember
1: well yeah i so that that, that's my fault because i didn't realize that this thing was going to drive as hard as it was it's okay
0: I, i mean it's just one of those things where it's like and for the people listening it's like I'm sorry guys that I was doing three episodes and all of a sudden I was like, hi, I'm just doing one, but life has gotten in my way. And so it's down to one episode and it's being extended out and well, season
1: six, most likely in will end sometime in November. So here's the thing is the beauty. That's the beauty of this medium though, is that you're not tied to a hard date. Mm-mm. You know, you kind of, you know, I mean, yes, I've, you know, if you're looking at the SEO and all of the, the background metrics. Absolutely. You want to make sure that all of this is in, you know, your ducks are in a row and, and all that. And, and content comes out at regular times and intervals and all that other BS. I read some of that stuff and it made my head, it made my eyes bleed. I was like, Oh my God.
0: But here's the thing. Wow, you I'm going to take with the you.
1: creativity out of it.
0: I don't, I, I check my stats. Yes. I check my stats. I check the location to see where the stats are. I see how many plays, but quite honestly, I am not sitting here promoting it hard, pimping it hard. I don't do that with my books, which is maybe my downfall. But I do this because I want to do it. I want to have a conversation with somebody. I want to have a fun. And the moment it isn't fun, that's when
1: I'm going to walk away. Well, yeah, because that's that's how that's how everything should be. And that's you know, if you're not enjoying I, it. There's why I do it.
0: That's why I, you know, besides a lot going on, that's why I quit doing the live show because. It wasn't everything I wanted it to be.
1: There you go. So, so on that note, is there anything else you want to talk about? Not really, other than, you know, anybody that's, you know, uh, you can find me at rich.zi at 30 Um I'm happy to, I'm happy to, you know, critique whatever. I, you know, always looking for things. I still have to, uh, I still have to rebuild my website. It's, it's been kind of it's been kind of a dead zone for a while and uh that's my fault i something crashed somewhere along the line and i lost everything on it and i have to rebuild it and um unfortunately my day job has been sucking up a lot of the time that i have to do all the other stuff that i want to do um and we you know at some point or another we should probably schedule one of these to talk about the other stuff i do not just the sound stuff you mean like
0: lacrosse
1: yeah, well, you know, yeah, yeah. Well, I, we I, I I coach that ridiculous sport and do other stuff and things, yeah, I mean, and
0: we can you know, we can definitely have you back and sooner sooner or it.
1: later I might be a I might be a, a mediocre golfer. I mean, hell, that could be fun too. So, yeah. <laughs> so all right, well, I'm gonna wrap this up for the recording.
0: So it was quite an interesting interview. Um, it's it's something that you know, Rich and I, we've hung out a couple of times. I'm friends, you know, how that all came about is uh, I was friends with his wife and we started talking and we started talking about my book and his book that he's been writing, which is, is very interesting and I hope he actually gets it finished. But we became friends through her and lo and behold, as I said on the show, I wouldn't be doing the podcast if it weren't for him supplying me with the equipment. So I'm thankful, grateful for him. I hope you guys had fun on listening to us talk. He is really a great guy. And, you know, if you are trying to, if you want your music produced, if you want to talk to him about having your, you know, him record with your band, he's open to all that. And you just need to drop him a line and, and sit down and talk to him. He's really a nice guy and he's easy to work with. So, I would highly recommend if you're looking to do, you know, if you have a project that you want to work on, I'd highly recommend them. Anyway, on that note, yes, this is the end of season five. Hard to believe I've been doing this for five seasons, but I have. So, this is the end of season five. And if you've missed an episode, you know, you can find them at the bettertopodcast.com website. And as always, you can drop me an email at Donna, D A U N A, at com. So that's if you have a question, comment, or concern. Season six. Well, I've already started taping season six. In fact, I'm about halfway through. So I have some really interesting shows coming up. I have some metaphysical guests. Um, I have a children's author. I have, hmm, let's see. I have Peter Paul Parker's coming back. Servon Campbell's coming back. I'm sure, possibly, not positive. I'm sure if I want, I can ask Sarah to come back because we always have fun. Uh, Zagan Trusty, he was the third guest from um, season one, and he had talked about coming out gay in the 80s. This time he's back talking about Having two parents that are alcoholics. And as far as Peter Paul Parker, he talks about the dream method. We're going to open up season six with his show. And I believe that is the first week in July that that will be airing. And the dream method is actually talking about helping us get out of negative thoughts. But we also talk about gardening and UFOs, as well as, well, politics. And he's over in Great Britain. So, we, we talk about the dynamics between American politics and British politics. So anyway, I, I hope, like I said, you guys have a great, great couple of weeks. I think it's going to take a couple of weeks off, at least for air purposes. And uh, I hope you enjoy season six. And I thank you guys for all the support and for following us. It really does mean a lot. And uh, well, I'll catch you in season six and catch you next time, guys. Bye. <laughs> The Better 2 Podcast is mixed, edited, and produced by Rich Zai of Third Ear Audio Productions.